Good morning, Miss Hill. The scripture reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through chapter 3, verse 6. The Apostle Paul writes, Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You ourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Good morning, Miss Yell. My name is Heather. I'm one of the pastors here, and we thank Ken for that reading. So funny, the camera was having a few issues just now. So uh, we're all we're all we're here, and we feel grateful to be here and solid and. Uh, we're all calm. We're all calm. Um, Ken has just given us our reading. We remain in Second Corinthians. Going to be working through this book all the way through August. And um, the, this chapter that he's just read, or this section of chapter 2 and then into chapter 3, at the beginning, um, Paul is headed to Troas. Um, and he feels unsettled. He's unsettled being there, and then he goes on to a place called Macedonia. And we don't know why he's unsettled until we get to chapter 7 and verse 5. He's so anxious because he wants to meet up with Titus. And we're told there that there has been tension, or we know that from previously too, there's tension in their relationship, the relationship between Paul and Corinth. And that actually comes through in chapter 3, where we're going to get to Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, he starts talking about this letter of recommendation. And um, the Corinthian church actually want Paul to furnish them with a letter of recommendation because they keep calling his competency into question. But Paul turns it all upside down. He turned it upside down in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and here he is turning it upside down again. He keeps on pointing them back and articulating who they are and who he is. And it's not according to these cultural norms that they're trying to impose upon him and these cultural standards, but he keeps declaring that his competency and their competency comes, 
competency comes from being in Christ. And he says, after that kind of moment about Troas and Macedonia, he says, um, chapter 2, verses 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Who are they? Paul is answering this question. They are the people that spread the aroma of Christ around. That is a sweet smell. But it's a sweet smell to some and a terrible smell to others. It has the smell of death. And Paul has been speaking about the gospel or the good news. And that good news is that Jesus' victory that he won over death and resurrection means that he has victory over all of the forces that oppose his healing rule of peace and justice. And so it's the smell of death to those who are on board with the things that oppose Jesus' healing, Jesus' justice, and Jesus' peace. And honestly, it's not that hard to get on board with the things that oppose Jesus' healing and Jesus' justice and Jesus' peace. In a world that is rife with greed and self-centeredness and violence and blame, it's easy to choose impatience and anger and fear. It's easy to choose comfort and privilege. It's easy to choose self-preservation. Had a moment this week where I threw some serious sass at my mother on the um, WhatsApp FaceTime situation. I was not patient. I was impatient with her. It's easy to choose the things that are in opposition to Jesus' peace and his healing and his justice. And with those things, it means letting go of death. So in Christ, we let go of the things, the practices that are in opposition. So the practices of hate, but also the practices of impatience and comfort and fear. And sometimes we just don't want to. We don't want to let go of those things. And here he's talking about salvation, and that salvation means that we're being drawn into something new. We're being drawn into the ways of Jesus, which is humility and confession and hope and generosity and love. And those are the things that have the aroma of Christ, but they feel like death when we're holding on to these things that are in opposition to Jesus' peace and justice and healing. And so he asks the question at the end of this, saying this is the aroma that's coming out. He asks the question, verse 16, who is equal to that task? 
who is sufficient or worthy or adequate of living up to these things all the time. Humility and kindness and patience and love. Who's up to that task? Who's equal to it? And it's kind of a rhetorical question because the answer is we come up short. We like to think we can work hard enough at it, but we don't. I was having a text conversation with a friend this week and we both acknowledged the difficulty of living up to demands and expectations, especially in light of pain and injustice and our own blind spots. And so when Paul asks the question, who is equal to such a task, kind of leaves us with that heavy feeling of like, not me. But then he goes on and he answers his own question. We're grateful for that, Paul. Thank you very much. Chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the word competent here is actually the same word as equal that he uses in answering or asking the question. It's the exact same word. It's just translated differently. And so who is equal? Who is sufficient? Who is adequate? Paul says our adequacy or our enoughness comes from God. Verse 5. God is the one who has made us competent, who has made us adequate as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, it says, but of the Spirit. So the Spirit is our adequacy. The Spirit is the source or the energy with which we have the capacity to live into the qualities of Jesus. The Spirit animates, so the Spirit is what gives off that aroma the life, where the life comes from. And so to understand like where our enoughness comes from, then we have to understand the Spirit. And in the Bible, God's personal presence is how the Spirit is described, described as energy or breath. And if you are familiar with the Bible Project, they have a really good video on the Holy Spirit that's really worth watching. And it talks, uh, this video talks about how God's spirit creates a really good world. And then humans kind of unleash chaos through injustice. And we've talked about that. Johnny opened our service with what kind of unleashing we're capable of. He talked about the murder of Ahmed Arbery. It's so poignant this week and it feels heavy. The blatant injustice, the darkness of racism, both the history of it and the current reality of it that happens over and over and over and over again. And it happens inside of systems and narratives that perpetuate it. Humans unleashing chaos through injustice. 
We sit in a world where chaos is unleashed. God's Spirit created a really good world, Genesis chapter 1. And then we can see that chaos is now a part of what we live into in this life. The heaviness of it is real and tangible. We know it. And the prophets in the Old Testament pointed and said that the Spirit would come. They felt their own heaviness of the chaos that they experienced and lived in. And the prophets pointed to say that God's Spirit would come and like in Genesis chapter 1, would bring order again. Would bring order to the chaos. And this time the Spirit would come to transform human hearts in order to empower people to love God and to love each other and to love creation and not to enact injustices and chaos towards each other, but instead to have the power to love. And so in Ezekiel 36, we see that it's talk of the Spirit animating the human. In Jeremiah chapter 21, it talks about this new thing that will come and it will be written on our in our heads and in our minds. This life that we would get to share and participate in. And so when Jesus comes, the Spirit raises him from the dead, and that is the start of this new creation. That is the start of the world turning right side up again. It's the project that God is about in renewing all things. And then Jesus breathes his spirit out on his followers so they can become a part of participating in that newness, in that new creation. And the purpose then is that we, who participate in that through the spirit, we learn to live by the energy and life of the spirit. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job that things will once again be good, that there will be an order to the chaos and it'll be beautiful and renewed. And the crazy thing about it, Miss Yao, it's a crazy thing about this. The crazy thing about all of that is that the Spirit wants to partner with us to finish the job. The church. The people of God. The Spirit wants to partner with us, transforming and empowering us to bring this life into the world, healing and renewing presence. But I have to acknowledge that that's sometimes hard to see. And it was hard for Paul to see. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And honestly, they're a hot mess. There's a dude who's sleeping with his stepmother. They're getting drunk during communion, just trashed. There is socioeconomic division that is happening, where the poor are pushed off to the side and they don't get what they need. They're using spiritual talk and like spiritual gifts to kind of puff themselves up and 
declare to each other how amazing they are. They're just full of pride. And sadly, that's a lot of what we see in the church today too. And it's actually in this moment that this church is calling Paul into question. They're like, dude, we need you to prove yourself to us. And we need you to prove it by giving us like a letter of recommendation, if you don't mind. Then we might listen to you. They want him to prove his credibility and his authority. This is what he says, chapter 3, verse 2. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. He's basically saying, dude, Corinthian church, like you're our letter of recommendation. And it's kind of crazy that Paul is saying that in this minute. It's a bit like, as a parent, when your child is at the store and they throw a fit because you don't want to give them the chocolate. And then you're just like pointing out to anyone, look at what a great parent I am. Look, look how great I am. This kid is my letter of recommendation. Or when your 15-year-old or your 42-year-old throws you some serious sass, you're like, yeah, see? See what a good parent I am? Look at the product of my parenting. Killing it. Or maybe another example would be you're a teacher and you have the student that never shows up on time, just like basically sleeps through the whole class, um, doesn't really say anything, and is pretty much getting an F. And that's the student that you point to. Look at how epic my teaching is. Look at what an amazing teacher I am. See, dude just sleeps or girl just sleeps all the way through class. That is my letter of recommendation. We don't do that, do we? We want to point to the best. That's not what Paul is doing. Paul is not banking on the best human behavior in himself or in them. He's not placing the credibility or authority on them. He's trusting something deeper. Paul is banking on the credibility and the authority that is gifted. Gifted by God, in Christ, through the Spirit. Even in the Corinthian church, that's what Paul is banking on. And so Paul's credibility or authority isn't removed because he's depressed. The man in chapter 1, it says he's despairing of even life itself. Corinthians' credibility or authority isn't removed because they can't get it together. They're not out of the game. And that's true for you. And it's true for us. And that takes the pressure of performance off. We get to step into freedom. Freedom to fail. Freedom to be imperfect. To be in process. 
and also to feel invited in and wanted even when we're in the midst of our own process. Because it, Monsieur, the Holy Spirit, is the source of our adequacy and authority and who we trust in to bring life to us and to the world. And the Spirit is at work. And God is achieving things in us. And what counts then is not that there is some standard that I'm trying to attain that I cannot attain. Jesus says, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And that is the life that we have. It is the life that is at once God's and ours. This week on Wednesday, my grandmother died, my 98-year-old grandmother. And um, I was talking to a mutual friend about her. She's in her 60s, late 60s, and um, we were, she's in England, and we were um, doing the little, you know, connect on WhatsApp. And um, she was talking to me about memories that she had of my grandmother. She met my grandmother when she was 18. And she said, you know, when I met her, I came to realize pretty quickly that she loved me, but that she also liked me. She's like, that woman loved me and she liked me, and I picked up on it pretty quickly. She said she was the first woman in my life that ever made me believe that that was possible. That I was both loved and liked. This woman's mother had taken off when she was 12. She left one day. And so she struggled to believe that a woman could love her and like her. And so she just got tears in her eyes as she was reminiscing about an 18-year-old showing up in front of my grandma. It's good to hear those stories about her because it's not just how she made me feel. It's how she made other people feel too. And the next day, someone posted a video of my grandma in her late 90s or maybe middle 90s because she was 98 when she left us. And um, in the early 90s, she was being interviewed at a Bible college. And, sh- and the, the question that these interviewers asked her was, what would you tell the young students? You know, because we all want to glean a little bit of something from a 90-year-old who's lived through it. And so she was telling these different stories. And the one that struck me the most was this one, because she actually referenced 2 Corinthians in chapter 2. When she referenced it, I was like, Grandma, I'm about to preach about that on Sunday. Give it to me. And as this video went on, she said one morning she was reading her Bible and she turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and she said, But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ in triumph to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. And she looked at the camera and she said, I don't always feel very triumphant. And I was like, that's my grandma. And then she said, I sat quietly with that text and I was like, yeah, I don't always feel very triumphant. And she said that she sat quietly and then there was these two words that stood out that she noticed. She noticed in Christ. 
And then she said, my whole life has been a process of learning to trust the one whose life I share. And she said, I would want them to trust the one whose life they share. It doesn't always feel triumphant. But the credibility and the authority has been gifted. And the Holy Spirit is the source of adequacy and the source of authority that we can trust to bring life in us and to the world. And we bear witness to that life. And when we bear witness to that life, an 18-year-old understands that they are loved and they are liked. And a lot of it, Missio, is a mystery. It's a mystery that the life of God would be able to manifest itself through us. But we're in process. And we're in the process of learning to trust the life that we share. And so this week, as you think about the life that you share and who you're partnered with, Christ, I want you to think about that as you pray and as you read the Bible and maybe as you talk to a friend, talk to them about who God is, whose life it is that you share. Not so that you can attain some sort of standard, but as a practice of learning to trust the one whose life you share. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks that you don't demand perfection out of us. That our letter of recommendation isn't um, conditional or conditioned on us. It's um, rooted and grounded in your spirit who animates the life that we share. And so I pray, Lord, just that this week we would ask ourselves the question that we would implement practices that invite us into understanding and knowing the life that you've offered us by your Spirit. And that instead of maybe a self-centeredness where we consistently kind of sit with our own inadequacy, Not that that's a terrible thing to do, but that instead we would move ourselves into a space of attuning to your presence. And that in doing so, we would find life. And in finding life, we would have it to share. And that it would show up with qualities of love and patience and compassion and remorse and lament and generosity to forgive and be forgiven and that we would be a people of that kind of aroma and thanks that that's what you promised to be doing and it's what you are doing so we commit ourselves into your good and powerful presence amen Missio, as we continue, if you have the elements, you can take communion.
It's a space where we um, move towards understanding and resting in the presence of Christ in our midst. There's also questions that will be um, popped on the video that you can engage with too. So Missio, let's continue worshipping together in community.